This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm your inner dream monologue, and you're fast asleep, so I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Welcome back, movie lovers. Today we're talking about Barry Jenkins' follow-up to the moonlight, If Beale Street Could Talk. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now. Here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Hello, movie lovers. Welcome back to the Popcorn Talk Network. We are here doing Anatomy of a Movie for If Beale Street Could Talk. I'm your host, Marissa Serafini. Joining me, I have... Mina Wahab. What's up, Mina? We're back again covering If Beale Street Could Talk, which is Barry Jenkins' follow-up to Moonlight. Um, I'm excited to talk about this film. It's beautiful. There's lots to talk about. Um... To preface to everybody before we really dive into everything, of course, we're, we are very spoiler-rich, spoiler-heavy kind of discussion. So if you haven't watched the film, go watch it and then come back to us. And also, in the description below us, below this video, just click the PDF link and you'll have the link to our rundown and production notes that we're going to talk about throughout this discussion. Things we talk about, things we may have missed, but are also in our notes. Go check it out. It's a great way to follow along our conversation. Um, what were your quick thoughts of this film? Oh my god, I... It was like I was watching a beautiful romance unfold, but over this very dark, cruel world where there is just so much injustice with our legal system. So there was so much going on. It was beautiful. Everything from the cinematography to like the authenticity of the relationship between Tish and Fanny to the love of a mother for her son-in-law and for her daughter and for the well-being of that family. And... The, the concept of bringing in new life into this world that's so harsh and, and damaged already. Mm-hmm. And so much going on. Even, like, the subplots of, like, you know, seeing the, the different dynamics with the families and the different socioeconomic statuses and how religion plays a factor when it comes to judgment of premarital sex and having a baby out of wedlock. Mm-hmm. Um there was so much that we could like dig into and discuss, but I just want to say that this was one of my favorite movies of the year. I just thought it was so beautiful. Yeah, you really did enjoy this because I think yeah. immediately after you watched it, you texted me. You're like, I loved this film. I'm like, great, we're talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really, I actually enjoyed this film for the most part. Uh, Barry Jenkins, um, I find him a very, very slow-paced type of director, and you see it in Moonlight, and you see it also in this film. And he's really, the only work of Barry Jenkins that I've seen is Moonlight and this film, so I really don't have a lot of other stuff of his to compare it 
two. I really only have Moonlight. Mm -hmm. But I know he has a great visual direction. Um, and he he takes his moment to build up emotional beats within a conversation, just within the storytelling of itself. It's like a lot of things are slowly built to have a, an earned um, moment of result at the end. And you see it in this film. Mm -hmm. And uh, so let's get a little bit just into the production. So this is actually based on an, an actual book um, by James Baldwin. And, it, and it's about the whole Beale Street and Harlem um, location, the Harlem environment. And actually, Beale Street is, an, is actually a street in downtown Memphis, Tennessee, mm -hmm. which was like the start of and uh, significant in the history of music and blues and like blues, blues music and all that. So and we see it at the beginning of the film, just like this, this credit of what Beale street actually is. Um, mm -hmm. But it kind of sets up the movie that is supposed to be like a beautiful historic type of feel um, that we get throughout the entire film. But the, the story place takes place in Harlem, which kind of threw me off a little bit when they're talking about blues in a different state mm -hmm. and we're following a New York type of storyline. Right. Did that confuse you? As I, Maybe I was the only one confused. I, I didn't pick up on that actually when I watched it. I was just like, oh, this is a beautiful story. Like, I felt like they did go into different enclaves in New York because we have the like, you know, the part where they're speaking Spanish to the people who are Dominican and mm -hmm. then they have the part where they're just like in different neighborhoods. But for the most part, I felt like it centered... Um, in a world of flashbacks of trying to establish the dynamic between Tish and Fawny. And that way we have, like, more sympathy or empathy for Fawny and his situation in the present day. Um, I don't know. I just... I, I didn't pick up on the, the different locations part or right, jumping from right. Beale Street to Harlem and how that was different. I didn't notice that. I think it maybe just confused me personally because I've never been to Harlem mm -hmm. or, and I've never been to New York in general. I know. Um, I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> but so, like, I am not familiar with the location, with the culture, with how the, the vibe is of New York, especially back in that time. Um, so I, I was, it was a little foreign to me but watching this film. I, I connected more to the human uh, human storylines compared to what was actually within happening within the political and social economics mm -hmm. of that that actual time period, but and and so it's based on the book by James Baldwin and Barry Jenkins actually started writing like adapting the screenplay before he actually got the rights mm -hmm. to the film, but he believed it in it so much and he actually did get finally get the rights and then just kind of took off from there. Um, so Barry Jenkins, he, he did the, the writing and so the screenwriting and the directing of this. For, but for the writing and the storytelling, do you, what were your thoughts of Barry in taking on such a humanistic type of storyline? I think that the, just like on the basis of sex, I feel like this is also something that will be timeless. And um, I know that there were so many critics who did not like the movie, who said that it was too slow-paced, too many close-ups what's going on here? It's just they couldn't get through it. But for me, I saw that as so important to this whole idea of, like, getting justice because he's focusing so much on the characters. The close-ups are really giving us an understanding of what they're going through, how they feel, and I think the slow pace is necessary to, to feel the frustration of the amount of time that Fani is just trapped 
in this world where he has no power, he has no say as a black man in America at this time. He has to have other people vouch for him, and he knows that ultimately it was kind of a sad ending where he he kind of has to play this settlement game of, okay, I know I didn't do it, but what is the best case scenario for me and my my new kid on the way? Um, how am I going to handle this? I, I just think everything with the way Barry Jenkins directed this and wrote it with the dialogue was so powerful. I'm not surprised Regina King got a nomination for this for and a Golden Globe win. Supporting actress. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about it, the storyline for this film is very simple. It's yeah. kind of ridiculously simple. It's it's not like a million people are playing a part. Um, we really just see <coughs> this core family and um, this young couple, and the man is falsely accused of, of rape. Mm-hmm. It's like sent, to kill a mockingbird. Exactly. Like, in, sent to prison, and the family is just working and hustling to try to get him out. Yeah. And, that's, and, and there's a child on the way, but that's basically the crux of the entire storyline. So it's not confusing, it's not hard to follow, but what we're following throughout this film is just how everyone is dealing with the situation and how everyone um, works and, like, loves each other so much just for, like, moments of happiness or moments of encouragement, like, we're, we're getting you out, we're hiring lawyers, we're raising more money to get more lawyers to fight for you and, and all that. And it's like, we just see this family throughout the slow build of a storyline, um, unfolding yeah. in front of us. And and we also see different worlds. We don't only see the world of a black man. We see the world of a black woman. We see the world mm-hmm. of a Puerto Rican woman who is an immigrant. We see the world of a white male uh, rising lawyer who is in this world where he's surrounded by just... You, you have, like, such a powerful scene where it's just white man after white man um, in, in this, like, room, and they're lawyers, and it's like, wow, like... These are the people who are determining my life. So many powerful scenes. We see so many different worlds. It's not just one world. We we see different classes. We see different races, different genders, different socioeconomic status. Yeah, different moral values, yeah, too. Yeah, different and religions. Religious values. Yeah. Um, a lot of different things that are packed into this two-hour movie. Um, but I want to talk more about the, the family relations first. So we see the different opposing views between Tish's family and Fonny's family. First, mm-hmm. what were your uh, ideas of Fonny's family and the mm-hmm. mother and the sisters? Wow. Wow. Just, this was near the beginning of the film. Yeah. Which is like, this is how we enter the film, really. The the initial arrival of the mother and her sisters, you just notice immediately from the dress, from the posturing, from the dialogue, how these people, though they are the same race and have usually been categorized in the same way by not only society, but also by film in general and how film portrays people in this community, how they come from two vastly different worlds, even though they're part of the same like racial group. They come from two vastly different worlds and how religion and socioeconomic status can create this like system of hierarchy within your own race where mm-hmm. it can create such a sharp divide where instead of coming together because of the birth of a new child who is so innocent and has nothing to do with all the bad and evil in this world you're going to create a wedge because yeah. of your religious beliefs because you believe that a child born out of wedlock is a bastard and 
you know, because you disagree with the morality of it. And it makes it extra powerful when we have a protagonist, Tish, who is so sweet and mild-mannered and is essentially an angel. So Mm -hmm. this is juxtaposed with someone who is so harsh, you know, so set in their ways, but we still see Tish put up a fight. And I love that. I love that she's not just this one-dimensional, sweet little oh, I'm just going to take everything they say and internalize it. No, I'm going to speak up and say this is not okay. I loved how her sister came to her defense. There were parts that I just laughed out loud. It was good. I loved it, Marissa. No, no, it was great. And and I love how excited you're getting because... You're talking about juxtaposition because we see the the actual first announcement, the initial announcement with Tish's um, immediate family. Mm -hmm. And the way that the pacing, they built it up like, oh, this could go south. But it went so far north and like they were so happy, so on board, so supporting. Mm -hmm. I mean, it came to the mother and the sister and the father. He was like, yes, this is the best thing ever. And then to immediately follow up 10 minutes later, this... Bonnie's side, which is so cruel and so harsh and so brash to what we just saw, which was like a, a family that supported, like fully supported, to a family that fully like denies this and doesn't even like think it could be true. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so hard to see conflicting opinions so immediately. Mm-hmm. And I think that was great in the juxtaposing news. Like, so it builds for the audience that we know which side we should root for. Yeah. Obviously, Tish's family. And also, what are you going to do? It's not like she's going to get an abortion. Like, she's choosing to have this baby. I mean, are you just going to, like, say... Like, you have to make the best out of the the cards that you're being dealt and not necessarily see it as a mistake, but, oh, we're blessed with the gift of life. What are we going to do with that life? What kind of world do we want our child to enter into? We're drinking to the gift of life. Yeah. And then we're even the- Regina King, like the way she acted, she was so supportive. She was it was beautiful, and mm-hmm. uh, I just that scene it was powerful. It was funny. There were comedic elements, and then you also see all the the way the times were with you know this woman's husband just slapping her because he mm-hmm. doesn't agree with her and her, her sister's to stop freaking her. out. It's yeah, really to, to just to stop, stop her. her, and that's not okay either. But. No. We don't really, I don't, at least I didn't empathize with her, but it was so interesting to see that, like, physical violence from someone who was so supportive of new life. It just showed, like, oh, but these are the times. Like, Mm -hmm. this is how men treated women back then. It was okay to slap your wife back then. No one said anything. You don't speak back. Um, But I think it's also great on the actress for just the audience reactions. Like, this is such a terrible woman, or, like, we don't. We disagree with her, I'd hope for the majority of us, disagree with her. Mm-hmm. Um, just the way she was, like, explaining, like, bastard, you, like, X, X, Y, and Z and all these things. Um, just, she was so strong-willed and opinionated where it, it bothered everyone. And it got to the point, it escalated to the point where the husband had to slap her just to stop her from talking. Mm-hmm. And, but us as the audience, it, we got to that moment, too. It's like, there's nothing else that we we just wanted to slap her, too. Mm-hmm. And the husband did it for us. And I think uh, we didn't empathize, but I know, like, through my mind, I was like, wow, like, this is not okay. But you can't empathize with a woman like that. It's like I under... But I do, in some ways, understand that when you are that religious and this is your way of life, you have formed your entire identity around that, that anything that doesn't adhere to that is sin. So how mm-hmm. can you support a life of sin when this is what you think is morality? 
So I get that, but there's a way to handle it with class, with etiquette, with... with dignity. Yeah, with dignity, with respect. She had no respect for that poor girl. No. Um, on the flip side, what, what do you think of Tish's mother, you know, Regina King, playing Sharon Rivers? Uh, such a powerful performance. An amazing mother. You know, like, there's so many... So much nuance in her performance where she can go from being this super strong, like she's strong throughout, but she can go from being like very aggressive and loud about it to very calm and collected in the way she communicates and explains her thoughts. But ultimately, you're just like, wow, this is a great mother. She just wants the best for her kid and for her son-in-law. Like, she is willing to go above and beyond, travel to Puerto Rico for her son-in-law. What is Fani's mom doing? Nothing. Just wallowing? Cursing her Painting Fani as a horrible person? Painting Tish as the person who ruined her son's life? Get over yourself, woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, like, simultaneously entertained and enraged. Right, and I think that that's just the power of the performances, too, because, I mean, it's rightfully so Regina King got nominated because she did play such an amazing role in this film as a mother, as an actress, because we see these these <coughs> scenes and moments with the Sharon where she, she's supportive of Tish and the baby, but then when she's alone trying to put on her wig and just looking at herself in the mirror for, like, a full three minutes, it's like you take those real-time yeah. moments... Where she is vulnerable. She's worried about mm-hmm. the results that could happen if going to Puerto Rico is a good thing. Facing this potential accuser. Yeah. Um, At first I was like, what's she doing? Is she going on a date? Like, what's happening? Right. And I was like, what? And then I was like, wow, this moment is so important because it shows her indecisiveness, how everything is counting on this one moment and every little move is like a chess game. Like, it could ruin it all. Mm-hmm. And just her, like, putting it on, taking it off, I was like, I felt like that was her battle with how authentic should I be versus how much am I putting my best foot forward and looking decent, mm-hmm. you, know, you know? So it's... How, how real can I be in this moment? Yeah. And like, um, should I approach her looking more, like, put together or looking more realistic? Yeah. Um, in the fact of, like, woman to woman. Would that have made a difference, you think? I No, I don't think so, because... Just, I want to know your thoughts of the the whole uh, just interaction um, with the the accuser who we get, um, you know, the, the actual accuser down in Puerto Rico. So it starts off with Regina King speaking to the father first um, and trying to get permission and access to the daughter. Mm-hmm. And then when she finally meets the daughter, I felt like, you don't touch a rape victim like ten times. <laughs> like don't. It like, wasn't really ten, but she, it was enough to yeah, physically set her just, off. Just like know that this is someone who has gone through intense trauma, and I understand you're coming at this with like everything is relying on this one interaction. But you saw this internal struggle with her character. You saw that she was like, "How much do I push? How much don't I push?" And how she's talking to her and saying, "Honey, please listen." You do not know that this man did this. I believe you when you say you were raped, but you were in the dark. You didn't get a good look at his face. You can't know for certain that it's him. And Mm -hmm. she replies, how are you so certain that it's not? And she just knows. She's like, I've known him since he was this little. He would never do that. Like, you saw a lineup of people given to you by police officers, and you chose him, but you chose him incorrectly. And I know this is hard for you, but this is this man's life. Mm -hmm. 
Like, this is his life on the line. And then she, like, touches her or, like, tries to, like, reason with her. And this lady just, she can't. She has an emotional breakdown, mental breakdown, is triggered, starts screaming. Her, her mother or grandmother comes in and pulls her and starts saying things in Spanish. Like, oh, what a horrible person. Right. And then we just see this extremely powerful performance from Regina King crying and being so upset and just like, what do I do with myself now? And that was an incredible, incredible, like, it was an incredible performance, like, for her to struggle so much and go through great lengths, knowing that there was a risk that it wouldn't pan out and still trying to calculate her every move and and doing it from the heart. I I felt it. I, I didn't feel like in performance, it felt like this is real. Yeah, and I, I completely agree because we see we see Sharon go out of the way, go all the way to Puerto Rico because this is the make or break moment where this this could uh, exonerate Fonny. This could be the moment where he can finally get his freedom back, and it's not. It goes so south, and it doesn't help. And she she at that her breakdown after you know the the woman goes away, um, her breakdown because she realizes. Uh, she, she kind of failed in that way. It was like this was supposed to be the moment that was supposed to free Fani, and she, there's nothing else she can do. She's literally defeatless. Yeah, um, and and it's just to the point where you know that she tried so hard and she just and she failed. Mm-hmm. And a, as just like a person who went the extra mile just to you know face defeat is is really upsetting just in, in that human sense but you applaud her for what she tried to do mm-hmm. and um unfortunately it still doesn't work for Fonny's case because he's still in prison right and and i think that was one of the the more frustrating things near the end of the film not to completely jump ahead but at, at the end of the film where we see he's still in prison he never got free yeah um it, it just left you so, uh, maybe for me, but it left me so unsatisfied at the end because yes. he didn't get redeemed. Yes, and it just, it points out to this larger problem of systemic injustice that persists in this country. And, like, you're taking this slice of life and the specific instance and will there be justice? And as the viewer, you're like, of course there has to be because if someone is innocent, they're innocent and it'll it'll come to light. And now we realize so many people are incarcerated for either things they didn't do or something really petty because of the three strikes rule and they just spend life in prison as a result. But that's all being remedied now with the STEP Act. So thankfully our country is moving in the right direction. Hopefully in the right direction. Um, I want to talk more now about the the actual main love relationship that we see. We see Tish and and funny um what what were your thoughts of both kiki lane who played tish and stefan james who who portrayed funny but like the relationship that we're following throughout this entire film super authentic it was like one of the most beautiful portrayals of romantic love i have ever seen everything there was so much respect there there was so much loyalty so much dedication and you feel it in every single scene you know that tish would die for her man and he would do the same Mm -hmm. and we don't see that a lot we usually see either a male savior or someone needing to be rescued but this was no i will fight for you and i know you will fight for me and we see him even tell Tish, I don't need you to fight for me. I know how much you love me. Please don't do that ever again. 
And it's not coming from this sense of like toxic masculinity. It's coming from, I don't want anything to ever happen to you. I love you so much. You know how our world is, especially with against black people, against black men, black women. I don't want you to ever put yourself in this position. Don't ever do that to me again. So we just see, we see the loyalty. We see the love, every scene, even the sex scene. The, the amount of respect and beauty in that sex scene. He doesn't want to hurt her. He is so gentle, mm-hmm. and it's their, their first time, it's her first time having sex, and he asks her, like, he tells her, like, oh, like, I just want you to know that I love you so much, and, like, I hope you trust me, and just everything that points out to consent, 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 mm-hmm. making sure, checking in, and it is such a beautiful union of their love. Yeah, and I I do love that we do see their actual progression throughout the entire film with the help of flashbacks. And I know there there are a lot of television shows and movies where, like, flashbacks can be, like, too overbearing or too heavy-handed. But I think the flashbacks were done very well in this film because you do see that slow progression of we understand who Fawny is Mm -hmm. and understand how such a nice guy that he is. There is no possible way he could rape this poor victim so we just know that that is not in his character because the flashbacks built him up as such a great guy Mm -hmm. um how he's so far in love with tish and like going to the the whole scene where they're trying to get an apartment for themselves and he's just visualizing everything (laughs) yeah dave franco (laughs) nice little cameo Um, there but it's also like to show that there are other good people in the world like yes he had an injustice against himself who's someone you know, falsely accused him. But there are other good people out there who just like, I don't care um, about your your gender, your race, your beliefs. It's like, I just care if you're like truly in love and if you're a good person. And pay the rent, please. And, yeah, and, and Fonny was a good person. We yeah. know that he was. And he's like, you, you two are in love and, and we'll make it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I just want to be a part of that. And like, I think it's just, that that's a positive like, little note that we're all like, okay, there are good people in the world who don't care, who don't just see just black mm-hmm. or or what have you. And so it was good cameo by, by Dave Franco. But also just the, the message that shows that Fonny is, like, just such a good person and such an injustice against him. And, and I think this was even more so established by using the very powerful flashback of them as children. So Mm -hmm. they've known each other since they were little kids. And there's this scene where they're talking about, you know, you have the voiceover from Tish and she's saying how, you know, we used to take baths together and it was never sexual. A body was just a body. And it was such a beautiful moment of like friendship and closeness. And it wasn't until that moment on the subway where they're older, where you kind of see them staring at each other and that's the romantic connection there. But they've had such a solid friendship foundation mm-hmm. and platonic love that it was able to blossom into something more later in life. Yeah, not and transcends pl- yeah. you know, platonic. Um, and, like, and I did love that moment, too, because you do see that progression of they started off with just, like, childhood friends to the point where now they're actually in love with each other and respect each other and see each other for more than what they used to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just like that natural progression of an actual relationship. What I don't understand, by the way, um, is how are they able to hang out so frequently as kids when Fonny's mother 
hated the family or did this hate start way after because it seems like a lot of her her judgment comes from the varying socioeconomic statuses Mm -hmm. and the fact that they are like deemed like lower class than these high class super rich you know i don't know that's a good question funny side of the family maybe that's covered more in the books unfortunately both of us have not read the book so maybe they do cover the um fawny's mother just a little bit and her viewpoint but we do see that like the sisters and the mother were always were already judgmental by the time we see them towards tish yeah um but and i think maybe as kids it's more forgivable because they're like they're just kids they're innocent Mm -hmm. so it's okay to let them and we see the fathers are actually good friends that's what I love too, and I, it was like super think, confusing. I was like, right. "How are the men getting along, and the women just the, hate each other?" Yeah, I don't know. Maybe this mother was way more catty. So I, I'd like to think maybe the fathers had a play in, like, always having their kids play along with each other too, mm-hmm. which is good because then I feel like if if the parents at some point did not get along, there would be no way that Fonny and Tish would actually grow up together. Mm-hmm. So then I think it was maybe the father's involvement that they are such good friends, that the fathers are, that it allowed them to have that still be together relationship. Yeah. yeah. So may I look towards the men for that. Yeah. So good on the fathers. Yeah. The fathers are great, especially them hustling to get, get money. Yes. Unfortunately, it was illegal, but they were hustling Super hard, because that's how much they believe Fanny was also innocent. And I almost, like, not that I would ever condone doing anything illegal, but I almost was like, I don't even care or have any sort of judgment because they have been so screwed over by the system that they're just trying to claim what's theirs and, and like, basically play in this corrupt game where, oh, I'm going to do something corrupt to free my son from corruption. Mm-hmm. Just that, like, weird... I guess, way of thinking. Yeah, it's it's very ironic where they're like, the system didn't work for our... Advantage, so we're going to just do yeah, what the so system's we're gonna doing work the to system. us. Yeah. It's like, more so they work the system, too. Yeah, like, like, good for them. Like, I don't even... They sold hot items. <laughs> no, no remorse. I, I don't feel nope. the slightest bit of, like, oh, this judgment or upset at it. And, like, usually, uh, I'm against that, but also... but. What I know what they were doing it for. And well, else could like, they have done? The, the, I guess, like, the, the sum is greater than its parts in, yeah. in that sense. But, uh, and it's so I've funny heard... how that money, that dirty money, is going to feeding a lawyer to, over to like, actually find a way to, like, defeat the legal system or use the legal system to their advantage to free Fani. It's yeah. just how circular everything is, how interconnected everything is. They're literally working the system. I feel like we've been... Our last three movies have really been <laughs> political. They really have. Um, but it's okay, because that's why we're talking about them. Um, I, I want to now know your your thoughts of Brian Tyree Henry, who played his, his friend Daniel, who mm-hmm. was just released out of prison. And there's a whole... 12 minute dialogue scene of just getting into his mindset and how much prison like affects a black man yeah what are your thoughts um i do want to say that there were parts of the scene that were super powerful and necessary to drive the plot forward because it was told in this flashback sense of fawny's first foray into learning about injustice against black men especially when it comes to someone who's so close to him who's one of his best friends Mm -hmm. so we see that but i felt like the 12 minutes was way too long it was the only part of the movie where i was like i can't i can't focus anymore this is too long it's like getting out of hand like no it's it could have been condensed way shorter 
And I think if it was condensed, it would have had a more powerful punch to it. But it was just drawn out. And I was like, why am I watching 12 minutes worth of this? You could have told me this in five minutes. Five minutes. Yeah. Um, I completely agree. This was a moment I'm like... How long have they been talking for? Yeah. Like, it, it did take me out. It was too long that it took me out. It felt like film. a play. A little bit. It didn't yeah. feel like a movie at that point. But um, also, it it was, like, good in two ways because um, Daniel, who who now has implanted the seed within Fawning, like, prison is such a bad place, mm-hmm. especially for him. Now he's stuck in prison. This is what I'm facing. This is, like, I know going to prison I'm going to be, like, treated unfairly against the guards. It's, it's a, like, prison is his own, like, mind. Yeah. His mind is a prison. And he was just like, oh, they're dogs. You don't know how they act. Like, they just have no, like, right. humanity. It just builds this, un, like, unlikable situation that he now has to face. Like, he, he's already warned in that sense. But also, uh, Barry Jenkins mentioned why he chose the scene to be playouts for so long. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, whether you're good... Um, so, like, say you're in a regular conversation, you start a small talk, like, how you doing? And someone's like, good. Um, whether you're good or not, like, you spend more time with the actual person, eventually they'll start opening up. Like he says, uh, but if you're together in a window of time, if you talk long enough, maybe over a cigarette or maybe over a beer, which he had several beer, mm-hmm. beers, slowly I'm good will reveal itself for what it really is. Hmm. So it's like, you know how people always have the automatic response, like, yeah, I'm oh, good. good, good, good. But really, like... They're having the the most crap day. Because he's going to be like, honestly, I'm yeah. having the worst week of my life, and this happened. Like, no, just against social norms. But right. I hope that can change. Right. So that's why he made this particular scene longer because slowly you realize he's not good. Mm-hmm. Like he's he was dealing with the post traumatic stress basically of what uh, his life was in prison. Yeah, and the fact that you have to settle on something even when you know your own innocence. It's almost like it it feels like the Shawshank Redemption all over again where you your path to redemption is guilty mm-hmm. or no your your path to redemption is literally innocent to guilty because of what you do when you're labeled as like a um as someone who is just in that system to mm-hmm. getting redemption again. So you're taking people who are good and doing this to them and ruining their lives. Yep. It just I didn't like that that progression. From from basically innocence to guilt. Yeah. And unfortunately, the system now, it's guilty until proven innocent. Mm-hmm. It should be the other way around. Yeah. Um, and in this situation, it was like, you're guilty, especially with the use of a flashback. The whole um, scenario in the supermarket where they had that bad encounter with a, a white male police <coughs> officer. Uh. Which powerful. Is now had it in for for funny because he just rubbed him the wrong way. That was a really great cameo performance of someone just coming in for such a short time, and that's what I when I say Barry Jenkins is a great director and his use of close ups is super helpful. I love that the the shot just zoomed in like it was such an extreme close up of the police officer's face, and you see his scowl, you see the animosity in his face, you see the vitriol, and it's just yeah. so much hatred and and evil and racism in that moment. And then you see the look of Fawny's face, and it's another extreme close up, and it's just this head to head scene where you're like, oh, it's about to go down. So much tension, and to know 
that their paths really did cross again. Wow. Yeah. And it worked against Fawny because the, the first encounter did not go smoothly where he now unfortunately used that against Fawny. He's like, yep, because he just had a personal vendetta against him. Yeah. And now Fawny's facing like life in the, prison. The, the whole explanation Tish had about how things don't add up because if this happened on this street and you live on Beale Street and it, there's no way if this is your beat, like that was really helpful for me to know, oh, officers have beats. Oh, yeah, because mm-hmm. he's only overseeing this area. So he had to go out of his way to prove this guy guilty because of a past vendetta. Wow, our system is effed. Yeah. Oh, my God. It really is. And I liked how they did place, because, again, I've never been to New York, but they did place, like, it would take five minutes to get here. Mm-hmm. It would take ten minutes to get here. So they actually gave us the actual spectrum and the view of, like, real-time, um, like, to put it into scale of, like, right from point A to point B, it is physically impossible for Fonny to have done this to to rape this woman yeah and and i was like okay (laughs) i i now understand again just in practicality's sake it wouldn't work either Mm -hmm. and i I do like how they they explain that as well um a little bit about the the production and what were your thoughts of how the overall look of this film I thought it was beautiful. I thought, like, everything, the the way the space was used, the way that we really get a feel for what New York is like at that time, the way we see different areas of, like, what I said stated earlier of, like, oh, okay, like, here he is speaking Spanish, and, oh, they're in the apartment, and it's so, uh, there's so much light, and it's so nice, and he makes the comment of, oh, when you wake up in the morning, I want to see the beautiful sunlight shine on your face and just show me that that like luminous face like mm-hmm. everything like you would see a lot of dark and then a lot of light where there were times of hope um so i thought i i thought everything about the production value was was great uh, i completely agree and they because the, it is like 1970s type of storyline they they use a lot of photographs from gordon parks jack garofalo and <laughs> paul Fusco, um, they helped show like the 60s and 70s back in New York at the time. So they like they focus on actual streets of New York, um, building architectures, color choices that they use because there are some scenes where it's bluish, um, purplish, like this particular background behind us. If you are listening on iTunes, definitely check us out on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, the the different neon colors that were in certain scenes, but also when it came to like the lovemaking scenes, it was orange and soft and yellow. So like Golden, the, yeah. Yeah, and the different color schemes per um, different emotions in different situations. And I really visually um, the production cinematography was fan fantastic mm-hmm. and i gotta give it because i remember our moonlight discussion i remember saying the project the cinematography was so um in my personal was like i didn't like the cinematography in moonlight because it was handheld it was harsh lighting um things were overblown things like it looked gritty and this one like looked beautiful and then i definitely think moonlight helps barry jenkins mm-hmm. get more money and higher production value for this film yeah. And it definitely showed. Because when you have a movie that wins Best Picture, <laughs> of course you're going to be taken more seriously. Like, all right, here's the more next money. Two years. Yeah. Film a pr- movie that's more pretty. Yeah. And um, the music, too. Wow. The yeah. music added so much to everything. It was so beautiful and, uh, like, it really set the tone of romance and beauty. 
that I've, I haven't seen in a while. Yeah. Did, um, did this get nominated for Best Picture? It, it did not get nominated it for Best not? Picture. It did not? Okay. But that's it did get nominated for Best Original Music Score oh. um, by Nicholas Bertel, who did who also did the composing for Moonlight. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, and yes. he also did Vice, I believe. He, I think it was one of the... It's a movie right now that's out that he, he has songs, and I believe it's Vice. Yeah, so, so speaking of Academy Awards, so this movie only garnered three Academy Award nominations. Regina King for Best Supporting Actress, uh, who also won Golden Globe for this. Mm-hmm. Um, original music score <coughs> and adapted screenplay. I think it should also have directing, 100%. Directing and cinematography should have been clear-cut nominations i don't even know how that that did not happen it was the most beautiful directing i've seen in a while yeah i'm very surprised too because moonlight had um so many nominations um in those categories and this one only got three yeah and but uh, it's enough award nominations for us to talk about it i was like this is the first movie i believe that got best supporting actress nomination but not for best picture Mm mm-hmm so, it, it kind of. I I don't want to throw shade at Green Book because I really like Green Book, but it really surprises me that Green Book would win a Golden Globe for Best Picture, but this wouldn't even be nominated for Best Picture because I feel like the way that this story portrays race is way more like nuanced, where it's not just praising a white man for who is <laughs> ignorant for befriending a black man and then changing his views on race. This is so much more complex and nuanced, where it talks about systemic injustice, and it shows black love, and it shows the differences between people in the black community instead of just painting them with one paintbrush. Right. And so it shows how did this not family. get nominated for Best Picture? Like, that's so upsetting. It's beyond me. It's it's another movie snub. Or like yes. an Academy Award snub. Really and we've is. been talking about that, too. Um, but, like, it, it did get some Academy Award nominations and snubbed for others. Um, box Office, <laughs> it is a very, very limited film. Um, only a few people saw it. As of February 3rd, it has only made about a little over $13 million. So not a lot of people are seeing this film. Basically, I thought it was $12 million, though. Yeah. So it made a million dollars, which is nothing. But True, but also the, the, the audience that saw this film is very limited. Mm-hmm. So I think that's also works against them in the nomination because the rest of the country hasn't seen this film yet. It was very hard for me to even find showtimes to go see this movie. Yeah. I saw like, this I was movie, like, like, like scrambling to find showtimes. Yeah, I saw it like two weeks ago. It's like we, I had to see it back when it was actually released for us here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a very limited movie. So and then I think that's why not a lot of people are talking about it as much as they should. That's how Moonlight was as well though. Even yeah. when it was nominated for Best Picture, it was nowhere to be found in the movie theaters, at least by me. Yeah. Phil and I had to go see one of the last screenings of it. Like on literally the last day was in theaters. So I, we were rushing to go see that film. I feel like it's a shame when you have something that's such a beautiful work of art that isn't accessible to everyone. Yeah. And it's it is a shame. So to before we wrap out, um, uh, critics wise, it's actually pretty high on Rotten Tomatoes, ninety five percent. And Tato Meter is sixty nine. IMDb is seven point seven. Um, but no cinema. Oh, score. critics is ninety five percent. Yeah, critics ninety five. That's how high. that's how I feel that's though. High. This is like the first time the critics have really matched my feelings about a movie. Like I feel like it was that good. Yeah, you you loved. I, it was one of my favorites of the year. Like, honestly, I was just, 
I was so moved by it. It was beautiful. Right. Would you Both buy it? Visually, yeah. I feel like I would buy it because it's just a really beautiful movie. Yeah. I would see it again. See it again. Yeah. yeah. I can't say the same for other movies, but I would see this one again. I, I would, like, if this was playing on HBO or something down the line, I would probably rewatch it again. Yeah. I don't think I would go to the theater to rewatch it because it is a long film. It's, it's two hours. It is. But it feels like a long film it is very slow paced it's barry jenkins yeah yeah but i don't know i feel like but that shouldn't outshine the performance i feel like you need that extreme close-up to really be like oh i'm in it Mm -hmm. like i you could still see it at home but i just think it's so it's such a like made for the theater experience yeah and it was it was filmed uh, like cinematography was it was uh the fourth film in 2018, to be shot in Univision, which is a two-to-one aspect ratio. Um, the other films being Hereditary, Simple Favor, and Green Book. So that means it's actually wider aspect than mm-hmm. a normal... Um, oh, so it's more like this as opposed to Yeah, this. it's more letterbox compared to a fuller screen. Interesting. Yeah, so that's... Well, letterbox is it's more appealing visually oh, okay. in a theater. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. We got a we got a film school yeah. grad here. <laughs> well, I did go to film school, so uh, I highly suggest people watch it. If you are to watch this film, it is made for the movies, mm-hmm. movie theater, which we both saw. Yeah. And our final thoughts about this film before we go. A plus rating for me. A um, <laughs> I just think if Beale Street could talk is beautifully done. I think it's really hard to to make a movie based off of a book because sometimes it can come across as very boring. But I think that this was something that was a very character-driven movie, even though the plot was very much like, okay, black man, wrongfully accused of rape, we're going to have his family support him and see if there's a way out. Then we see his child at the very end, and it's just a very beautiful, tender moment. Um, But it's still, there was still a part of me that's like, okay... This is like a, a lukewarm, like satisfying ending, but it's very realistic, and that's what mm-hmm. I appreciate. Everything in this movie, it was never over exaggerated. It was never over romanticized. It was just a very authentic performance, an authentic story, and extremely realistic for that time period. And that's what I appreciated. Nothing was just overblown or made to be super inspirational or super moving. It just was. Yeah, agreed. I think the performances are great. Um, the story, very simple and easy to follow that you want to follow these people. Mm-hmm. Like, you believe in the love and relationship. It's genuine. You believe the, the family dynamic that it was so supporting. It's like, these are things that you're you're rooting for everyone, mm-hmm. really, throughout this entire film. And I'm like, Just I, not the mom. <laughs> except for Bonnie's mom. Not Bonnie's mom. mom. But, but we still are. But we, everybody, we else, come like, everybody else are, like, so likable, you want to follow them. And I think they did a great job job and character development in that sense that um these are likable people that you can follow throughout an entire yeah film. tish was so likable the, the yeah. two main oh my god tish you're was. like are do you have a cuter more innocent more sweet couple yeah nope but <laughs> kiki lane i mean she was fantastic and she's still new to to acting so she did a great job too Definitely. but thanks everyone for tuning in in the meantime mina where can people keep following you you guys can follow me on Instagram at Mina Makes Magic. Uh, follow my live stories on there. And you can also visit my website at MinaWahab.com. There you go. And you should definitely check out our other uh, discussion, Moonlight, by Barry Jenkins. You can follow me everywhere at Serafini TV. You can follow all of us here at The Popcorn Talk and all social media platforms. Thanks, everyone. And we will see you next time.
from producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network. We would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of its owners or principals.